The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. I think we've got some good guests for you tonight. Out of the box, our first guest will be none other than Jay Hovday, a winner of four Eclipse Awards. Uh, Jay is just one of my favorite uh, journalists. His uh, opinions are always spot on. Of course, his experience has been everything from Reader's Digest, New York Times, the L.A. Times, and uh the Horseman's Journal, Thoroughbred Times, and it was still around. And uh, he's been with the Racing Forum now as the executive columnist since 1998, one of the sharpest tools in the box. So we'll be talking with Jay and get his perspective kind of about what's coming up uh, in the three-year-old season and some of the outstanding races that we got to see over this weekend. It really was packed from coast to coast. And then, if you're listening to this, you're probably a handicapper. We're going to talk to the top handicapper in the land, and we can verify that. It's Paul Maddies, who took the National Handicapping Championship and went home with the $800,000 first prize Horse Player of the Year, he'll get an Eclipse Award next January. What's pretty cool about it is a family affair. They, uh, he started handicapping with his dad and his brother, Duke, who uh, took home $100,000 from the contest, finishing fourth. So we'll talk about uh, him uh, growing up being a capper and what it's like now uh, that he's uh, been to the top of the mount. And uh, we're going to uh, tap into Paul to help us with some interesting races that are going to be contested on Saturday. Uh, out on the West Coast, Golden Gate Fields, we've got a Derby Points race in the El Camino Real Derby. It's a grade three, stretching out to a mile and a 16th, and uh, there's some very, very interesting angles and a very full field of 14 scheduled to go to post. So can't wait to uh, tap into Paul Maddie's on that one. And then another wide-open race for three-year-olds. Now, this doesn't have derby points, but these are horses that are pointed most probably to the Tampa Bay Derby. It's the grade three, Sam F. Davis, quarter million on the line, and this race really wide open with a lot of angles. Uh, you got Todd Pletcher, Mark Cassie, Graham Motion, some of the top trainers in North America are going to be running in that and seeing if their horses can stretch out to a mile and a 16th. Then uh, one of the richest races of the weekend, the grade two, $300,000 Barbara Fritchie in the field, last year's winner, Lady Sabelia will be in there. We'll see what Paul thinks of that horse. And then uh, out at Santa Anita, it's the grade two Santa Maria 
Bird at the Wire might be a slight standout, but there's some definite competition in there. So those are the races that we're going to be breaking down with the man that was determined as the best handicapper in North America right now, if you believe in the National Handicapping Championship. What a contest that was. Well, hopefully if you go in any contest or just go to the racetrack, you're going to winningponies.com before you go and pulling down the easy win forms. We'll give you some combinations through the systems we've set up, and we've we've had some huge hits just this last week. Of course, uh, Delta Downs had their big weekend where they gave away over a million dollars to Louisiana breads, and at Delta Downs on the 4th, Gave out a $10 super key, $5,123. On the same card, a $0.50 tri-key, $4,447. And it was a good week for the easy win forms down at Gulfstream Park. Uh, Last week, uh, we hit on the 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th with some big ones. Uh, let's just uh, pick out the, the uh, race on the 4th. Uh, $1 Super 5 Key brought you home $4,233. And we'll skip a couple days to the 7th, a $1 Super 5 Key, 2932 So go to winningponies.com and pull down those easy win forms. Okay, well, this weekend you can get into Pool 2 of the Kentucky Derby Future Wager, and there's been a massive overhaul from Pool 1 just 11 weeks back. There's 13 new names among the 23 separately listed wagering interests for Pool 2. The new names, hopefully you had some of them when they won their last race. Awesome Banner, Cherry Wine, Collected, Danzing Candy, Discreetness, Gettysburg, Mo Tom, Shaggy, Smoky Image, Tom's Ready, Vorticity, Whitmore, and Zulu. The field was the three to five favorite in pool one. You just don't know who's going to pop up. It's awful hard to pick 23 horses that are even going to make it into the gate on the first Saturday of May. So uh, if you go to a racing outlet, remember the future derby, pool two starts on Friday, goes through Sunday. Okay, well, speaking of new names, how about the, these names? I, I thought Frank Maramati had it locked up, but uh, after this worldwide search for the announcer at Santa Anita, we've got two more names uh, that, that have popped up. Uh, Craig Evans, 48, the senior race broadcaster for the Singapore Turf Club, uh, will be calling the races at Santa Anita over the weekend of February 20th and 21st. And then uh, David Fitzgerald, who's 31, uh, a English announcer and commentator since 2010. He calls it Royal Ascot, so you know this is a top guy. He's going to be calling over the weekend of the 27th and the 28th. So both of them will call two full days each, and then they're going to contend with Michael Rona and Frank Miramati, who have been switching off with each other at Santa Anita and Golden Gate. So it'll be very interesting to see that now that we have four qualifiers, I really thought it was down to two, and I thought Miramati had the job. Well, uh, last week, Jockey Flavian Pratt made the most of a golden opportunity, shall we say, at Santa Anita when he took the San Antonio Stakes. I hope you got to see that. What a thrilling finish. It was a head-bobbing victory. So he got named Jockey's Guild Jockey of the Week for February 1st, 
through February 7th. So glad to see Flavio and Pratt back in the saddle. You know, he had a very uh, serious injury a couple months ago. Some were not sure he'd even get back in the saddle, but obviously he's got back there and has done awful well. He finished this week with three wins from 17 mounts with six second-place finishes, two-thirds, brought home 460,160, topping all riders in North America. Uh, well, uh, on the not-so-good news side, the Japan Racing Association has suspended jockey Louis Contreras for the use of oxycodone. He's, uh, of course, a 29-year-old native of Mexico and was the leading rider at Woodbine in 2012 and 2013. And you can imagine with the pots over in Japan, uh, getting days over there is certainly going to cost you in your wallet. Well, uh, this week's highlights... Uh, it's one race we didn't handicap because there was such a standout in there, and that was the Las Virgenes. I hope you got to see it. Songbird. She remains undefeated. She could be the new Zenyatta, Rachel Alexandra, Personal Ensign, you name it. Uh, she's unbelievable. Mike Smith popped her out of the gate straight to the lead, ran easy on the front, and just pulled away. The funny thing was, if you go back and watch the replay of this race, Smith never even gets down in a crouch. It's like he's in an easy gallop the whole way. So, uh, obviously, last year's Eclipse Award-winning Songbird is the horse everybody thought she was, and she just did it so easy. It's going to be very interesting to see if she takes some stops along the way to the Kentucky Oaks, but I'm sure that uh, that is certainly on her plans. Now, a lot of people were asking the connections, are you going to face the boys? Are you going to go in the Derby? And he Rick Porter said, no. He said, maybe next year, but right now we're going to stick against the girls. So Songbird will be pointing towards the Kentucky Oaks and many races after that, we hope. Well, a horse that didn't get in the gate, but that is undefeated champion, is Nyquist. Nyquist was pretty cool. Before the first race at Santa Anita, he had his final work for the San Vincente. And, man, he looked awful good. He uh, Breeze five furlongs, fifty nine and three. The clocker got him in, but Doug O'Neill got him in fifty eight and four. Uh, the thing is, he this son of Uncle Mo did some things he doesn't normally do. Uh, this race, he did have a workmate. He normally works by himself, so uh, he chased down his uh, his workmate. So he got a little more competition and a little more race ready, according to O'Neill, and uh, he seemed to really uh, embrace it. He looked great. Uh, the other thing was that uh, Nyquist has been showing five and six furlong runs, but he's actually been starting from the wire and having the Colt run a full lap. But uh, O'Neill didn't want him to get too sluggish. He knows he's got to get out of the starting gate, so they tried to sharp him up a, a little bit. Let's take a look now at some of the races we handicap. I want to thank uh, uh, Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum, a top handicapper himself, who joined us for that. Uh, the Robert B. Lewis that did have Kentucky Derby points went to the horse we thought it would go to, and that was more spirit out of the Bob Baffert barn. Gary Stevens was back in the saddle, so we'll see if he's shopping for his derby mount. Again, the Robert Beat Lewis, more spirit, just kind of rated in third, drew even with the pace setters at the eighth pole, and then responded pretty nice to a left-handed whip. In the, in the second spot was Uncle Lino, 
another talented son of Uncle Mo. He is hot right now. He had a short lead into, into the stretch. And in the third spot, the horse who was the pace setter, I will score, uh, finished third. Mike Smith was aboard that one. Then we went to the San Antonio and the winner there, as we hinted earlier, was Hopportunity. What a race. Uh, this horse just uh, put in a huge one. Looks like he's probably uh, going to be headed over to Dubai. Just got up by a nose, was head bobbing down the stretch with Imperative. Really, when I watched it live, I thought Imperative got the win at 7-2. to two. But at 9-5, to five, Hopportunity did get the opportunity for the win in the San Antonio. In the third spot was the speedy Donworth, a horse we may be hearing from down the road. Then we went to the Gulfstream Park Turf Handicap, and the winner there, a horse who is so consistent, is now 14-8-4, Luke's Alley, who was Matt Bernier's second pick, and in the second spot was Shining Copper. Remember this horse that set all the pace in the Breeders' Cup turf for his stable mate? Was on top by almost 20 lengths down the Keeneland backstretch, but Shining Copper ran a very, very game race, but did get caught by Luke's Alley in the third spot was all included. And then rounding out the day, the big, Don Handicap, and it was M. Shawish, the horse I usually mispronounce, got the job done, a very solid, solid race. Uh, he uh, managed to run down a valid who was the lone speed, we thought, and uh, he, he got roughed up a little bit. And in the third spot was the uh, hot Mexicoma. So uh, that was a look at the Don, and it does look like uh, – M. Shawish will be going over to compete for $10 million in Dubai. All right, that was a look at the national news, last week's action. Looking forward right now to one of the top writers in the nation, Jay Hovday from the Daily Racing Forum. You're listening to Winning Ponies. school to the pros we, we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. 
Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and if you're a fan of racing, you're a fan of our next guest. It's Jay Hovday. Of course, I read the litany of uh, publications that he's written for. If it pretty much has the word horse in it, he was probably published at, at what, uh, one time or another. Uh, what's most impressive is he's a four-time Eclipse Award winner. Uh, Jay, welcome again to Winning Ponies. John, thank you. It's been too long. Good to be back. Well, you know, I, I want to... Uh, uh, kind of pick your brain on some of the races that, that came up this week. There, there were some really good ones. I only got a chance to, to touch on a, a few there in our wrap-up. But before I do that, it was about, oh, maybe two weeks ago, you wrote a story on uh, one of my favorite people and a personal friend, and I'm so glad you did, uh, with Jenny Reese going out on the top of the game. I mean, uh, the, the, you know, American Pharaoh went out, but so did Jenny and uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a loss to the people that like to read in Louisville, but I'm sure that Jenny's going to land on her feet and ha- have a great career promoting racing in other venues. Oh, you're not going to be able to keep that uh, Energizer bunny down. She's already been very active on the, uh, uh, on the handicapping tournament scene, doing uh, public relations and promotions for that, and uh, I think that's, uh, that's where her true um, love will lie going forward. I think she really wants to... Uh, Spread the game, spread the word of the game, and uh, certainly the uh, the handicapping contests are a, a great way to expose uh, new fans and fans who really want to get uh, get their get their hands dirty and play the game. So look for Jenny on uh, on that uh, arena. Well, her enthusiasm comes through, and she's able to to get stories that other people can't. Uh, her you know, story on Dale Romans. I mean, nobody knew anything about that until it popped out, you know, on Breeders' Cup week. I mean, uh, and it's amazing that she was able to turn that story around while she had all these other stories to write and, and knowing that her career was only five days away from being ended. Well, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what you call good old-fashioned, um, you know, uh, seat-of-the-pants reporting. Uh, Jenny is from that school. Uh, it's not an old school, thank you. It's uh, it's an everlasting school. That's how you do it. And uh, she was one of the best practitioners, no question. Well, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for your column last week where you kind of took a step back and said, hey, we've got racing from coast to coast. That's going to be fantastic. I made a copy of it. I was farm sitting for some friends of mine who luckily had TVG, so I was able to get in and out. And it was kind of nice that for once the the racing gods uh, uh, didn't step on each other. There's nothing more frustrating than wanting to watch a good, solid, you know, graded stakes race, and three of them are going off within five minutes. It seemed like over the weekend, I don't know if it was because some races had smaller fields and they were early, and, or it was the east-west coast time change, but we were able to see most of them. And, of course, the, the most eye-popping, in my opinion, was <clears throat> Songbird. And as you say, she has her own frame of reference. <laughs> you like Songbird, do you? Well, John, stand in line. Uh, she is, uh, she is uh, she's going to be... We're going to be writing, uh, you know, long poems about her before it's over. Uh, she's something very special, and you know, and it's it's almost it's almost too hard to believe that uh, that a, a thoroughbred like her would come along so soon after American Pharaoh made us so dizzy for a, an entire season. Um, the good news is that we won't have to sustain the pressure of triple crown races with Songbird. She gets to kind of pick and choose her own path uh, with uh, owner Rick Porter and. 
uh, trainer Jerry Hollendorfer at the at the wheel there. So uh, you know, there's there's no races that she has to go in as a three year old filly, and that's great because uh, you know Porter's of a mind to uh, to run in races like the the Coaching Club and the Alabama and the Mother Goose, and uh, and Hollendorfer certainly is not afraid to ship. Uh, he's won three Kentucky Oaks and uh, a Haskell and and knows how to get the job done uh, all over the country. So I think um, once. Uh, what Songbird has run in the uh, Santa Anita Oaks out here in a, a couple of months, about six weeks, uh, she's going on the road, and she'll be hopefully at a, a track near you uh, or somewhere. Yes, somewhere I do hope I line. get to see her in the Kentucky Oaks. And uh, quite frankly, from what I saw the other day, Jay, um, you dropping names uh, like Inside Information, uh, Rachel Alexandra, um, you know, Lady Secret. I mean, from what she has shown, shown us so far, there's no reason to think that she's not that quality of a filly. None at all. I mean, if you've seen enough of those, uh, which, you know, so many of us have been privileged to see, um, you have a frame of reference, and you know what they look like at certain stages of their career that you can extrapolate what they're going to go on to be able to do if everything goes well and they get lucky. Uh, and uh, certainly Songbird is, is one of those rare creatures that, uh, you know, that, that come along only once in a, in a great while. Um, they don't always pan out. Uh, certainly Half Bridled was an exciting two-year-old and won the Breeders' Cup juvenile fillies as well as uh, any two-year-old filly ever did, and she was undefeated. But she didn't develop at three, and she had her problems, and we never heard from her again, really. But uh, Songbird has already made that transition uh, to a certain degree, and uh, I think, uh, well, like you say, the sky is very definitely the limit with her. Um, it, it's it's just exciting to be around her. And bear in mind, she's by Medagliadoro, too, which is uh, Ra- Rachel Alexandra's sire, so I mean, she's got the got the folks and and got the uh, got her right to be doing everything she's doing. Well, uh, let, let's talk about some other undefeated horses uh, who have nothing but upside. Uh, starting with the the East Coast phenom, uh, Mo Heyman. Uh, here's another horse that hasn't done anything wrong. Uh, he's kind of lived up to his two point two million dollar billing. Uh, what's Jay Hovday's read on this Kieran McLaughlin trainee, a trainer that probably couldn't be hotter than anybody right now? Yeah, it's amazing what you can get for two point two million, isn't it, John? You know, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you spend it right. Uh, yeah, hey, you've seen the he, record he, of a lot of guys that have spent millions, and the horse never broke its maiden. <laughs> well, he's he's the exception to that rule. There's no question. Um, there's. Uh, you know, you, you can you can take a good close look at his Holy Bull uh, stakes uh, on the 30th of January, and you can you can like it from a lot of angles. Um, he finished very well. He ran very steadily over the last uh, um, you know five eighths of a mile. Uh, I, I'm not sure if each one was a little bit faster, but they were they were very steady and and quick enough. Um, and he, he you know he finished with the kind of energy that you like to see a horse that's going to be running. Uh, nine and ten furlongs uh, here, not too long. So, you know, McLaughlin knows how to get him to that point. Um, he's uh, never won a Kentucky Derby, but he did come awfully close with a horse named Closing Argument. That was uh, a million to one. I can't remember his exact price, but it was it was massive. And uh, this horse has certainly uh, certainly got a lot more going for him than uh, than that long shot. So, I would say that he's going to be the favorite, uh, the, the pre-race favorite for the Derby until proven otherwise. 
Right, and I, what I was so impressed with with his last performance is the way he came back. Watching him return from the race, it's like, did this horse just race? I mean, he looked like he was in the post parade. He looked fantastic. And, of course, uh, you're not going to sell for that kind of money unless you've got the pedigree to boot. You know, you got to tap it on top. And uh, his dam on the grade two Devon Dale stakes and the grade two Bonnie Miss stakes at a route of ground. So I, I don't think that a mile and a quarter on the first Saturday of the May is out of the question. But now the question is, did you get a chance to see uh, the pre-Santa Anita card workout of Nyquist? I did, and uh, Nyquist is—he's—he's uh, he's certainly the most uh, professional workmanlike uh, colt uh, that we have out here right now. Um, hasn't been beaten yet. We're going to find out on Monday. Uh, I've, I've got an interview with Paul Redham, his owner, coming up in uh, Sunday's racing form. Uh, so he's—he's uh, he's quietly confident that uh, that Nyquist will certainly pass this test at seven eighths of a mile. Although he'll he'll have a, a, a decent test in there. A nice colt named Exaggerator will be in against him. So. I think we're going to see, uh, it's kind of an old school way to approach a three-year-old season, starting out with a seven furlong race. I mean, you know, if it was good enough for Seattle Slough and, and a lot of uh, great uh, three-year-olds of the past, uh, it should be good enough for our modern thoroughbreds. Unfortunately, most of the three-year-olds today, are, are and their handling is handcuffed by the point system to get into the Kentucky Derby, so they end up having to shoot for, uh, you know, uh, uh, tougher two-turn races to uh, even start their year. They're not allowed to... Uh, to go gently into the year to peak at the Kentucky Derby, they got to be peaking to earn points. Well, Nyquist has earned enough points in in his uh, his races last year as a two year old to be assured of a Kentucky Derby spot already, um, and uh, so they can they can go ahead and run in the seven furlong San Vicente and then uh, and then pick their next spot from there, which will probably be in Florida. Well, uh, as a uh... I've uh, sent out a couple Christmas presents this year. It was a book by the name of uh, Long Rain, uh, Tales from the World of Horse Racing, penned by none other than yourself. I highly recommend it because uh, in, in this world of where you've got to do things quick, it's just fantastic. You can pick a chapter and read a story that's only a couple pages long, put the book down, come back you know, an hour or so later and catch up on the next one. It's just it's a fantastic book of your work. Now, with that said, Long Rain is a testimony to your many years on the backstretch in the races. Now, in my opinion, racing provides the sport's most colorful landscapes uh, for its characters on every level. Now, Jay, every track has its uh, uh, Joey Step and a Half or Rat-Eyed Eddie. Who are some of the most colorful characters you've come across over the years? Oh my goodness! Uh, well, you know, we've still we've still got a few among us too. Uh, I mean, going back to my early days, uh, just about every jockey's agent had a crazy nickname, whether it was uh, uh, Fats or Blackheart or uh, uh, Snake or you know you you, you pick it. Uh, Pete Wilson was one of uh, he was Bill Hartack's agent for a while, and he was one of the. The, the funniest, smartest guys I knew, and uh, he was uh, he was a guy that said basically defa- defined the jockey agent job as um, uh, all you need is a nickel pencil, the condition book is free, and that was basically the qualifications <laughs> to be a jockey's agent as far as he's concerned. Uh, he once uh, he uh, he once stole the toilet paper out of a adjacent stall of a trainer in a backstretch restrooms and wouldn't give it back to him unless he gave him a mount. So that's the kind of guy. I, I, kind of grew up with in the game and uh you know we had clockers uh, the clockers were great guys apples Tabor was fabulous uh, 
I'm not even going to try to do an, uh, an impression of him. Johnny DeSantis uh, does the world's best impression of Apple's Tabor. Basically, his 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 signature was uh, "Forget what you know, listen to me," and uh, you know you had to you had to go from there. Um, but uh, you know, characters. Uh, I mean, we, we everybody at the racetrack has got a good story, as far as I'm concerned. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. It's the kind of place that just simply the fact that you wake up every morning and you're going to lose most of the day. But you're going to love doing it, or you're going to try harder because of it, or you know something's going to happen that, that's got a silver lining to it. And then when those those rare winners come along, I mean, jockeys, you know, between fifteen and twenty percent, trainers between ten and eighteen percent of the time. I mean, that's that's no success rate for for mental health. But but you know, we we just keep doing it. Never mind what the horse players have to go through. Um, that that sort of that sort of reality. Uh, of uh, of lack of success at a at an endeavor that you're trying very hard at, that that builds character and creates characters in ways that, uh, that you know that's just like unlike any other sport. There's a reason that you know the great sports writers like Jim Murray and Red Smith and Damon Runyon, who could write about anything if they wanted to, uh, always gravitated back to to horse racing, and uh, that's that's where you and I live, John. Well, I know, and, and we're and we're blessed to to be there, and we're blessed to to have a a guy like Jay Hobday writing about the sport and covering it because you are one of the boots to the ground kind of guys. Uh, you've just uh, had a sensational career, and long may you write, Jay. Well, John, thank you, and long may you talk and bring the 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 message out there to your listeners. It's a it's a great show you do, and uh, I need to be on more often. So don't be a stranger. I've got your number. I'll be calling you now that you said that. It's on the record. Thanks a million. We've been talking with Eclipse Award-winning writer Jay Havday. We're going to take a little bit of a break and come back with the national handicapping champion himself, Paul Maddies. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need a bitch's ass and then move on. I just, I just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me now, Paul Maddies. I've got his name 
correct because I've never met him before, but I've read a lot about him over the last couple of weeks, and it's a great story, one that I can relate to, uh, being an upstate New York boy myself. Of course, uh, you know, you got to go to the Holy Races of Obligation there up at, uh, up at Saratoga if you live anywhere in that area. And it was a family affair uh, for myself. Uh, uh, my, my parents enjoyed it. My mother bet anything that had an Irish name in it. My dad liked to make a few bets. But my brother Bob, he worked at Saratoga and uh, really took it serious and ended up being a pretty good handicapper himself. I used to help him out when I was a young boy at the kitchen table. We'd get our daily racing form down at Colson's when the truck would pull up at midnight and throw it off in the back, and then we'd go back to the kitchen table and handicap. So, uh, Paul Maddies, congratulations, number one, on taking home the first prize, $800,000. When we get off the air later, I'll check on the loan. Yeah, I've been at Coulson's myself. I've, I've picked up a form there back in the days when, uh, when I was, uh, I, my, I'd go with my father, and we'd, we'd stop there late at night and pick it up myself. So I know exactly yeah. the... Uh, you were describing some of the same things. Well, yeah, I was talking about uh, some of the characters and, and racing there with Jay Hovday, and let me tell you, Colson's at midnight. You run into some interesting <laughs> guys waiting for that truck to pull up. Yeah, and I, uh, that's uh, part of the draw for me. You know, I call friends of mine that, uh, you know, Jackie Agents called Beer Truck, Ogre, Jimmy the Fireman. Uh, but my all-time favorite character at the track, Name, the, the name was Shinbuck. He was a trainer at uh, in New England, <laughs> which I think is the ultimate uh, horse racing nickname. Um, but uh, you're, you're you're absolutely right about the characters on the racetrack. Well, I, you know, I do believe you you go back to the Great Barrington Fair, a place I was at when when I was was a, a youngster. Um, Will you kind of tell our audience a little bit about your exposure to the sport and kind of how you shared the, the, the love of the game and handicapping with your family members? Well, my family really loved the Massachusetts Fairs, especially Great Barrington. That was like uh, every, every person in my family was at the Great Barrington Fair every day they ran. So, But when I was growing up, I was not in the industry per se. You know, my, my family were fans, fans of racing, and... Uh, you know, my father actually liked the Massachusetts Fairs even more than Saratoga, even though, uh, you know, Saratoga is such a beautiful place. But he, he loved the racing at the, the cheaper racing. At Green Mountain, you've probably been there too. John. That was another, yep. uh, you know, place that he loved to go to. And uh, so I got to see racing at, you know, different levels growing up. But uh, my, brother and I, my brother, Greg, and myself, we, uh, we decided pretty early on, we, we were the racetrack was always a place I was comfortable with, and he wanted to be a trainer really, really early on, and I just wanted to learn everything about the races. So when we were young, we started walking hots and, and mucking stalls, you know, at, the, at early ages, and, uh, you know, it just progressed into, you know, into uh, we, we kind of went different directions later on in life. You know, he stayed with the training, and I kind of went to the handicapping side, but, uh, you know, it's kind of in, my, in our blood. Uh, now, uh, tell us a little bit about your, your brother, Duke, because it seems like he's turned out to be a pr- pretty good handicapper himself. Uh, as I recall, he took home about $100,000 from Vegas two weeks ago. Yeah, he finished fourth, and I've, I've said this uh, before, too. The, I, he, he did just as good a job as I did in the contest because, uh, you know, I, I, got, I had a little bit of luck in the contest that I, that I, uh, I got a, a score pretty, pretty early in the second day where I knew I was going to make some cuts. And, uh, but he had to, uh, every time on every cut, he had to hit a horse in the, 
in one of his last two uh, bets, and he did it. So that was uh, pretty impressive. But my, that, my brother that Duke, is, was, uh, he, he kind of followed me. He was younger than me, and he kind of followed me to Las Vegas. In a lot of ways, he's, uh, he's taken all the stuff that I've taught him and learned more than I knew. But, uh, you know, he's, uh, he does his own thing now on the West Coast, and he's a, he's a, a really, really good better, uh, probably more so than me. I'm... I'm stirring over today's races. I, I had a good day of handicapping and a bad day of betting. It's probably the worst thing you can do at the races. And I'm, I'm sure he's out, he's out there in the West Coast and he won and I, I sat here and lost. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, we, we've all zigged when we should have zagged. Now, um, do you have a particular approach to your handicapping? Uh, you know, when, when you open the card, are, are there races that you feel stronger in maidens turf races are there are there trainer jockey combos that you look for kind of describe to me what uh, what happens when you open the form and and, and start getting your uh, teeth into it well my favorite type of races is races where horses have run and there's more you know i think i'm pretty good at deciphering who who's the fastest horses and uh, i have a speed figure background but i also think i'm i can i can relate to the horses where they're going the form cycles uh, and just how the trainers are operating, and I get a, I think I'm a, a better uh, at, at that uh, you know at that part of the game you know and I I like dirt racing and I like the the longer the dirt races pretty much I, I think are better I think they're the truer uh, the the truest form of racing and is uh, is longer dirt races I don't think it's an accident that's why the Triple Crown is is the longer dirt races I think the most money is longer dirt races. You know, I think the, even though the American blood is all throughout the whole world and uh, we've taken a little bit of a, a knock because of Lasix and, you know, and medications in recent years, the people still come back here because at the end of the day, we prove who the best horses are because we run, you know, we run dirt racing over sustained ground. And I think that's what determines who the best horses are. So I think that's my strong suit. I, you know, obviously... You know, there's all kinds of other aspects of uh, handicapping with maidens and and uh, turf racing, and you know, it's it's a very I don't have to tell you it's a very complex game, and if you're going to be in it, you got to learn different angles. But I but I would say that's my strong suit. And I've uh, po- posed this uh, question to other uh, handicapping champions in the past: uh, How different is your day, let's say, if you were just going to Saratoga versus? playing in a contest well that's something that's taken me my you know taken me personally uh a little bit longer to adapt to you know i've uh the, the contests were always secondary to me in the past and uh it doesn't matter how hard i tried i it, it was uh it was a difficult uh switch to uh to put to put the contest first but in recent years on these bigger contests i'm, I'm doing a better job i obviously you know but uh I think it's a couple reasons why. I think the contests are better now. I think they have better formats, and you know, the uh, there was a time frame when there was a lot of poly, uh, you know, synthetic uh, races and right. contests, and I didn't really like that. It seemed to be more of a you know just a luck you know type of thing. But uh, you know, I, I think the contest people, as uh, as as the uh, contests have grown and progressed into being more and more popular, I. I don't think it's an accident. I think that, that the contests themselves are getting better. So, and I find it easier to, uh, you know, in, in recent years to try to, uh, you know, kind of drop the betting at least somewhat and, uh, 
and concentrate on, on, on the contest. Now, uh, j- just real quickly before we get into s- some races, uh, how was the atmosphere out of Las Vegas? I mean, you're looking around the room. There, there's guys that you've probably played against. There's guys you've probably seen on television and horse players. Uh, you know, what was the vibe out there? Well, you know, the, the first time I ever went to the NHC, I stumbled on it by accident. I was in Las Vegas, and we, I was, it was at Bally's at the time. And I didn't even know really about the NHC. It was, it was just first start, and... and when I stumbled on it, I, you know, my first instincts were, you know, this is great. I, you know, I've got to be part of this. And, uh, you know, so from that point on, Duke and I started chasing, my brother Duke started chasing this to try to win this, this tournament because the atmosphere is really, you know, the best thing that I've ever been part of in, as far as uh, handicapping. You know, it, uh, it, it's second to none. And the racing forum and the NTRA have always done a great job, and when you when you show up at the NHC, you know you're playing in the, you know, in the Super Bowl of uh, contests. I mean, that's that's apparent the day you walk, you know, the moment you walk in, and uh, you know, we're a little critical this year because we're a little behind the times, probably in technology as far as keeping up the scores and making the bets. But uh, you know, just the the atmosphere of the uh, people and you know all the industry people, and you know, Eric Wing is the announcer, and he just does an amazing job of of, uh, you know, keeping, keeping people uh, updated. And, and it's it just one of those things that once you do it, it's contagious. You want, you want to go back every year. Yeah, Eric is good. He's a personal friend, and I, I know that, that he, he does a great job. And it's funny, you're resonating uh, the, the same opinion that I've gotten from a lot of the people that I've talked to uh, that, were, that were out there uh, this year. Well, uh, you know, since uh, we've got uh, Paul Maddie's uh, with us uh, on, on the winning ponies, let's uh, hold his feet to the fire here. We'll do at least one race and then uh, uh, perhaps go, go to a break. Uh, there's some wide-open events that uh, I, I threw at you, and I would say kidding. the most wide-open. Uh, well, no, I shouldn't say that because the, the Sam Davis is tough too, but out at Golden Gate Fields, we'll take this one first because it does uh, have derby points uh, attached to it. A mile and a sixteenth, the El Camino Real, uh, Graham Motion, who you won't see every day out at Golden Gate, uh, is out there with some interesting horses. Uh, he's uh, hooked up back up with uh, Team Valor with this uh, Cassiopeia um, horse that was privately purchased. Uh, of course, they were the Animal Kingdom connections. Then you've got the connections of uh, Paul Redham, Mario Gutierrez, and Doug O'Neill, who have Frank Conversation, who just won the California Derby up there at Golden Gate. And, uh, you know, uh, then you got outside horses like uh, Diplodocus, who's uh, won at the mile and the 16th distance, but it was on the turf. Of course, Golden Gate, I believe they had the Tapetta footing. So, uh, Paul, uh, how, how did you approach this race? You know, this race is a good example of, uh, to me, the, you know, the difficulty of, of handicapping on synthetic, you know, races. But I did think that the four main contenders, probably the four horses they're going to bet, the two uh, Grand Motion horses, the uh, Frank Conversation and the Hollandoffer training, Mr. Coker, are basically the four horses I thought that could win. I didn't think that, you know, maybe a couple of the other, the horse you mentioned, and maybe Mark Keelan might fill some exotics or something like that. But I thought the race was between, the, between those four horses. And the trickiest thing to me about this race is that I really like both Grand Motion horses, but Grand Motion is having a horrible year, you know, and it's, 
I'm, I'm a, I subscribe to the fact that you can't chase trainers when they're not doing good. And, you know, I know he is, you know, one of the top trainers, and he's going to come out of this eventually. But it's, it's very difficult for me to, you know, to, uh, to jump in on, the, on his horses when he's had such a, a terrible year. I actually picked one of his horses on the Santa Anita show uh, what, uh, uh, last week, and, you know, I just noticed the horses, when he came out on the track, it just, I don't, these things, there's probably a million reasons why a barn can go hot or cold, but it's just amazing to me that, you know, over and over again, you don't want to chase cold barns. So, you know, in this race, because of that, I didn't want to go to those two horses, even though I think they're, they're arguably the two best horses. And uh-huh. so the Hollandoffer horse interests me because if, I think if it was a dirt race, I would really like his horse. He has the highest figures. He has got a high turn of speed, you know, high cruising speed, and the, he's galloped out real well in his races. But I looked up the mother of that horse, which is uh, R. Christie. And uh-huh. Now we're talking about Mr. Coker. Mr. Coker, yeah. And I it was, found it really unusual that it was, it was, she was a very good Todd Beatty runner, and I kind of remember. But I looked, I looked her up, and her worst two races in her life are on the Penn National Turf Course, and that Presque Isle Downs on a poly track race where she was about two to five, and she, she finished off the board, and it was just obviously the worst race she's ever run. So even though he is by Candy Ride, who's a pretty good poly, uh, a synthetic sire, you know, I, I'm really worried about uh, the, her, uh, he, him running on the, uh, on the synthetic because of the, because of the, uh, the breeding, you know, so... I, I rewatched the, the El Camino Derby, and Frank Conversation is a horse I liked last time, but because uh, he was on a dead rail at Los Alamitos in, in a fast pace, and I thought that he, uh, even though he's running against these three horses that are much harder, I, I still think he's the horse to beat because of the question marks on the other three horses. That would be Frank Conversation. So- Frank conversation, yeah, and uh, I do believe he comes into the race, you know, with uh, well, one of the highest buyers. Uh, he is uh, one of the horses that they thought enough of that he's already nominated the Triple Crown. He's from a young quality, quality sire and quality road. I think we've yet to seen his best, and uh, certainly is in good hands. Doug O'Neill this time of year, you know, he's kind of like uh, Baffert and Hollendorfer. You, you've got to keep an eye on him because. He could have anything in the barn, and he may have a few other three-year-olds we don't even know about. Yeah, and Mr. So, Redham, uh, he's had some, uh, you know, this crop of horses that he has right now. I mean, Frank Conversation's probably his fifth or sixth string. <laughs> you know, he's, he's had some <laughs> run with, uh, with, 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 the, uh, with the two-year-olds of last year and the three-year-olds of this year. And he's not a horse that I would love to play, and I wouldn't talk anybody out. I wouldn't talk anybody off the, the two motion horses if, they, if you wanted to, uh, you know, go against the, the trainer angle. Because I, I just think, you know, probably put down the road, those two horses are more talented than Frank Conversation. But as far as betting him, I, I just don't think it's probably the right, the right time or uh, place. Okay. Well, that was a look at the El Camino Real. Now let's go to another three-year-old race. Doesn't have derby points, but uh, it'll probably end up with a couple horses in the Tampa Bay Derby, and that is the Sam F. Davis. is a grade three, quarter million. This race, uh, Paul, is just wide open, and there's angles galore in here as far as I'm concerned. I agree totally. When, when I, when I look, started looking at this race, I had no idea where to start, but I really, I really dug in and tried to come up with, uh, with the, what I think is the right play in the race. I, I'm not sure he's the best horse, but I, but I, 
I think that uh, you know we we have the grand motion factor again in this race, which yes, <laughs> which <laughs> it, it made this race difficult as well because I really like this horse and I thought he was pretty impressive. He he was very green in his two races and he actually bore out in the first turn in both of his last races and still ran real well. And by all accounts, he's training really really well. So you know, I, I would not be against him. You know, in a sense that I would try to bet him thrown out completely, but I, I probably hold him more in a def- defensive light than, you know, in an offensive light because of, uh, you know, just because of the barn. So, okay, for our listeners, that is a number five rafting that we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. It is a son of Tappet, who's probably the hottest sire in North America. He might be the next Northern Dancer for all we know. And as certainly his horses have shown that they can, they can get a, a route of ground. And uh, this is a, a homebred. And uh, so he never went through the sales ring, but you know, the, the horse, you know, broke its maiden at Saratoga, then uh, tried, tried Keeneland, uh, but did come back uh, in the fall. and was an easy winner. I noticed a jockey change to Edgar Prado. Uh, it's not every day you see him riding at Tampa Bay Downs, so Edgar Prado will be aboard a rafting, who uh, is definitely a, a solid horse. Now, uh, there's a couple horses in here that are making some surface switches, um, What's your opinion, of course, uh, who's been a very good trainer over the last couple of years, Mark Cassie, with this What a Wonderful World. Now, when I handicap, I download early so I don't have any odds. But this horse, Lifetime, is three for four and hit the board in its other race. But it's been exclusively on turf, and then it was on, I guess, it's a Tapetta or Polytrack down at the Ocala uh, Breeders' Championship. That was pretty impressive coming out of the 11 hole. Yeah, you know, he's 7-2 uh, in, in, in the morning line. He... You know, I, I, that race there, I thought he, he was pretty impressive in the race, but I like the horse today that came off of that race that I was, I was disappointed in. I thought that, uh, that that was a pretty good race, and he was in a situation I thought he would run better than, than he did, the horse that was coming out of that race. So uh, I kind of downplayed the race a little bit. It wouldn't, again, he wouldn't be a shock if he won. The other negative, I think, about that horse as far as handling the dirt is that uh, the mother... Is a uh, was strictly a, a turf uh, turf uh, you know a mare. All three of her offspring that ran before what a wonderful world that ran are all one on the turf. They were all turf horses. So you know she hasn't produced much that could run on the dirt. So you know at a short price, I think it it's that's maybe one that you could uh, go against in this race just because of the uh, surface change. Well, how dangerous then are, are uh, Pletcher's two horses at Tampa Bay Downs, Gettysburg and Destin? That, that's why I started to, to lean towards I, those two horses. And, you know, uh, I think Gettysburg is going to have a, a – I watched his race again, and he was pretty impressive. But he did it on a, on a kind of a loose lead, and with the, the speed horse stretching out there, morning fire, he's not going to get the lead today. And uh, he might – he might get an okay spot stalking him, but he is going to take a, a lot more pressure than he took in his last race. And the thing that I, that I came about with this race that I think that Fletcher's other horse, uh, Destin, is, is a, uh, a hidden improvement in his last race. He had put blinkers on in the race at Fairgrounds, and he, he didn't get a very good trip or ride in that race. And the horses that were outside on that day, even though when I was watching it, I didn't think that there was much of a bias the horses that were outside on that particular day have come back and run really well. And 
this horse here has come back and trained real well. He's trained with Gettysburg. They had the same, um, the same times at Palm Beach Downs. I don't, unfortunately, I don't know, you know who's getting the best of each of them in, in those workouts. But I assume if they're working together, I right. tend to like the horse who's the closer if they're, if they're, if they're working together. I always think that's an, an, uh, a big advantage for the horse that has more speed. So if he's sticking with him and working in company, I think that's a real good sign. And I think this race is going to have maybe not a, a strong early pace right away, but I think it's going to get turned up at some point. When Gettysburg goes after morning fire, I think rafting is going to go kind of early. He has in his other races. And I think Destin could sit back and kind of watch it all develop. And he's, he's, he's a hidden improvement horse, which I really like in this day and age of, the, of betting. That's kind of like the only horses you get. Uh, extra value with you know i think he might be the overlooked one on the on the on the board very interesting well the fact that the guy by the name of john velasquez is elected to go to tampa bay downs to ride him gives him a little extra push too well uh, my producers tell me i've got about four minutes so uh we'll let, knock out at least one more race uh well what do you say we go to the barber fritchie um it's it's a grade two three hundred thousand on the line uh the, the two horses that seem to float to the top for for me uh, Paul, our uh, hot city girl, uh, Linda Rice, you're familiar with her. This is a, a half-sister to Laver Dad who just got retired, and she's going to be bred. And, the, of course, uh, Lady Sabelia, who uh, won this race last year and uh, could be coming into this, certainly a horse for a course, loves Laurel, 12 starts, 7 wins, 2 seconds, 2 thirds, and the 7 furlong difference. Uh, distance is a very unique spot, and this horse is uh, 2 for 3, at the distance, uh, earning just shy of a quarter million dollars. Yeah, I think you, you nailed it on this race. That the, the seven furlongs, is, I think, is the key to this race. And uh, I, I like Hot City Girl, and, and she's a horse that's been, been good to me. I, I've, I've, I've hit her a few times, so I have a soft spot for her. But I, I, the more I looked at this race, the more I thought it was, it, it was trickier than, than just those two horses. I, initially, I, I had the same thought as you, that, that there wasn't much to this race, but... There's some tricky horses in this race, and I, I have a note on Lady Sebelia, even though, and she's a horse that I've, I've liked and, and done well with, too, that even though she's, she's won the two seven furlong races uh, at Laurel, I've got a note both times that I don't think that seven furlongs is her best distance. And uh, I thought she w- was able to win those races because of pace scenarios. And I think that she's going to chase Hot City Girl this time where she's not going to be on the lead. And, it's, and they've had some success rating her more. So I, I really believe that Hot City Girl is going to have a, a big advantage pace-wise on Lady Sebelia. So I'm, of, the two, of the two, I'm leaning towards Hot City Girl. But if they hook up early in the race, there's some horses in here that, uh, you know, there's three horses I thought that all had a chance. And I, I, the more I looked at this race, the more I thought it was, uh, it was tricky. You know, Princess Violet is a horse who finished second to Lady Sebelia last year, who was... Uh, has a very, uh, very good record at these middle distances at six and a half and seven furlongs. And then on the horse on the outside, Wonder Gal, I thought all along that Wonder Gal is a better one-turn horse than a two-turn horse. And I think maybe uh, Leader Jamadi, the trainer, has, uh, may have given up on the two turns you know, and, and cutting back to the seven furlongs. She, she may be the right horse in here, it, finally getting what she wants to do. Three, three-year-old turn four, a lot of times fillies, that's kind of when they, when they show that improvement. She's kind of been 
knocking on the door all year, and that really improved. And she's worked really good going to this race. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm well, really interested. If she could, in her, if she could work it out, Paul, because my producer's telling me I've got to close it out. Uh, Paul uh, Matisse, I thank you so much for being a guest on the show, and I congratulate you. You know, uh, as Harvey Pack would say, uh, should the horse be with you? Yeah, thank you very much, John. All right, take care. Well, uh, that was uh, Paul Matisse we've been talking to. Also, we had Jay Hovday on the show. I want to thank him. I want to thank you most of all for tuning in to Winning Ponies. Don't forget, go to the website, winningponies.com, pull down those easy win forms, and remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.